It doesn't matter how prosperous or how faithful a generation is or how faithful or how useful a leader is. It doesn't take that long for a nation to go to destruction, especially if it's on the list for God to judge that nation because of the evil that it has done. I'll let you glean from that whatever you will. Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. So tonight we are finishing up 2 Kings. So we are in chapters 24 and 25. And actually we're going to finish up chapter 23 where we, where we stopped last week uh, in verse 31. So chapter 23, verse 31 through the end is where we will be tonight. Now just a, a reminder of where we were at. Last week we discussed the reign of King Josiah which is maybe the brightest spot in all of 1st and 2nd Kings. Josiah is by far my favorite king. It says, it's stated about him that he loved God and served God with his heart, mind, soul, and strength, unlike any king before or after him. He is an exemplary fella. He destroyed all of the altars, cleaned out the temple, not only in Jerusalem, but throughout all of Judah, as well as outside of the kingdom of Judah into the land of Israel as well, and destroyed all of their altars. Not just destroyed them, but desecrated them so that they could not be used again. As just his rampage and crusade to bring people back to worship in the one true God. But at the end of his life, he is killed by Pharaoh Necho as Pharaoh Necho and Assyria, the king of Assyria, are planning to put up a defense against Babylon because the kingdom of Babylon is on the rise. And they're trying to prevent that. And in Josiah's meeting on his way to meet up with the Pharaoh and the king of Assyria to maybe form an alliance, Pharaoh Necho kills him. Uh, And now we're left with a new king. That's where we pick up in verse 31. And so it says, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. So not very long. His mother's name was Hamutel, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. 
Now, Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father, Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. So ultimately what you have in this little section here is Jehoahaz is the one who's going to reign after Josiah. We don't know why he's chosen. He's not the oldest son. But he only lasts for three months as king, and he's brought in captive by Pharaoh Necho, the guy who killed his father, and he ultimately dies in an, Egypt, in an Egyptian prison. His brother, Eliakim, was put on the throne by the Pharaoh who took Jehoahaz off the throne. And as a sign of power to show that the next king of Israel, Jehoahaz's brother, Eliakim, is now aligned in under the authority of Pharaoh Necho, he changes his name to Jehoiakim. And so there's no secret about what's going on. Now Jehoiakim is reigning in Judah, and he's the rightful heir of the throne at this point in time because, as far as we know, Jehoahaz didn't have any sons. So Jehoiakim now becomes the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. That's important as we move through. So, nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his wrath, with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all of the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight, as I have removed Israel and will cast off the city Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I have said, my name shall be there. So, Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, was the most evil king in Israel's history. God got really angry during this time because of the rampant idolatry and evil that existed throughout the land of Israel and how uh, everyone in the kingdom of Judah just became invited pagan worship into their living under the reign of Manasseh. Now, even though Manasseh repented at the end of his life, Israel and the kingdom of Judah did not turn away because Manasseh's son was just as evil as him. But Josiah prevented God's judgment from raining down on Judah because of how righteous Josiah was. But God has not forgotten his anger. And now that Josiah is out of the picture, God is ready to bring judgment to the land of Judah. Now, for your own indulgence and edification, if you would like, a companion to all of this history is the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah and Lamentations. Jeremiah is the prophet at this time, and he's warning the kings now that God's judgment is on its way. And he's letting the kings know that God is bringing judgment on the land of Israel, and he's begging the kings to submit to the authority of Nebuchadnezzar. Because Assyria has at this point, or Babylon at this point has risen above Assyria and Egypt and overtaken both of those kingdoms. And Nebuchadnezzar is on his way to Jerusalem to take out Judah. And Jeremiah is warning the kings, God is judging us. And you have two options. You can resist Babylon and experience a whole new level of God's judgment, or you can submit to the authority of Babylon and things will go better for you. 
And all of this is happening within the prophet of Jeremiah, which we'll get to, but just for your own understanding and frame, framework behind what's going on. All right, so this is the backdrop in the, uh, the historical background of what's going on, and you find more of that in the book of Jeremiah. All right, so Jehoiakim is on the throne. Jeremiah is the prophet warning him of everything that's coming, and this is now what you're going to read is Jehoiakim's reign because this book isn't about Jeremiah, it's about the kings. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah the daughter of Hadiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers have, had done. So the tax that Egypt put on Judah, Jehoiakim, rather than gathering the silver from the palace treasury, he decides to just overtax the people to get the amount to pay to pay Egypt. That's what's happening there. But now at this point, when chapter 24 starts, you see the switch. In his, day, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. So that's the switch. Babylon has now taken over Syria and Egypt included. And so instead of paying tax to Egypt, because Babylon has taken them over, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is expecting Jehoiakim to submit to the authority of Babylon and pay taxes to them. And that you will find more in Jeremiah. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, or Babylonians, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely the commandment of the Lord... This came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the blood would not pardon, or which the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Then Jehoiachin, his son reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Now you see Babylon has taken over this, the entire Middle East. And they've just wiped everybody out. And Nebuchadnezzar's reigning, and now we have Jehoiachin. Now, Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin, this fa these family members, uh, you'll... Again, in the book of Jeremiah, you find out that they're cursed bloodline. And it even states that they will no longer have any sons on the throne in Judah. That's a big deal because we're dealing with the Davidic line, which is the Messianic lion. So the, the Messiah is supposed to come from these people, but they've been cursed by God to no longer have any sons sit on the throne. That's a big deal. And what you find out in the Gospels is how God got around this. In Matthew, 
The Gospel of Matthew records Jesus' bloodline from Joseph. And it's this royal bloodline that includes Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin. But Jesus is not a blood relative of Joseph because Mary was impregnated and conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has the legal right as the oldest son of Joseph adopted into the family to fit into this royal line, but he doesn't have the blood curse that was put on them in the book of Jeremiah. And Luke gives us the genealogy of Jesus through Mary, which she's still a relative of David. So Jesus still has David's blood running through his veins without the curse of Jehoiachin, while still maintaining the legal right to the throne because of his adoption by Joseph. So God finds a way when Satan thinks he's won. But keep, let's keep going. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. Yeah. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At the time of the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was sieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother and his servants, his princes and his officers, went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. So now Jehoiachin is taken captive by the Babylonians, but Jehoiachin is not dead. So he's still the rightful heir to the throne, but he's not sitting on the throne. And he carried out from there all the treasuries of the, all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. Also, he carried into captivity, this is important, he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. That moment is where you find the books of Daniel and Ezekiel because they were brought in as captives into Babylon during this siege. And so Jeremiah finishes up his ministry as he doesn't get taken into captivity, but Daniel and Ezekiel both have ministries in Babylon that sort of replace Jeremiah as the prophets. And Daniel is a prophet to the kings of Babylon and Persia, and Ezekiel is a prophet to the people of Israel that are captive in Babylon. And so if you want even more homework, we'll get there. Uh, but that's where you find in history. Now all the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war, these, uh, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Then the king of Babylon made Mathaniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king, in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. So this is Josiah's brother. 
Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. I'm sorry, this is Jehoiakim's brother, not Josiah's brother. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. Uh, for because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So now the king of Babylon has placed a different king, Jehoiakim's brother, Jehoiachin's uncle, on the throne. He's not the rightful heir because Jehoiachin is still alive, but he's a vassal of Babylon. He's supposed to serve the Babylonian king. But it turns out Zedekiah rebels. And again, Jeremiah is telling the kings, don't be stupid. Do what God says, and this will work out better for you. But he chooses to rebel anyway. Uh, and everything Jeremiah says comes to pass. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month of the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around, so the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month of the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. So Babylonian king went around the city of Jerusalem again, sieged it, prevented any food or water from coming in, and you had to make do with what you had inside the walls, and eventually starved the people out. Now this is the third siege on Jerusalem. You got five, uh, 605 BC, uh, 597 BC, and now 586 BC. And this time, Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy the Temple of Solomon. And he's going to lay waste to Jerusalem, which is everything Jeremiah didn't want to happen. But because of the rebellion of the kings and not listening to God's words, they're completely judged. So then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of the war fled at night by the way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans, or Babylonians, were still encamped all around the, against the city, and the king went, way, uh, went by the way of the plain, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him, so they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. So Zedekiah has been captured as he's trying to run away. No members of his army were around him as he was trying to run away from this. And now they've brought Zedekiah before Nebuchadnezzar, who was known particularly for his cruelty, and you're about to see it in action. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze letters, and took him to Babylon. So what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do to Zedekiah was make sure the last thing he saw were his sons getting killed right in front of him. So they took Zedekiah, killed his sons right in front of his face, and after his sons died, they gouged his eyes out so that he couldn't see anything else. So his last sight would be his son's death. And then they bound him, and took him to Babylon. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, so Nebuchadnezzar's been reigning for 19 years now, uh, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great 
he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuzardan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. So this is the final siege. Jerusalem is completely burnt down. The houses in particular, the temple is completely destroyed. Anything related to worship of God is completely gone, burnt down, torn down, gone. And all of the people are now taken back except for a few remnant who are just there to make sure the land doesn't turn to waste so that they can still reap some benefit from Jerusalem. They leave some poor people there to farm the land. Now it's going to, uh, we're going to get to see some of the beauty of the temple as it's getting destroyed, which is so sad. But the writers here are juxtaposing the beauty of the temple with the destruction from Babylon. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried away the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered. The firepans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one sea, and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits. And the capital on it was of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits. And the network of pomegranates all around the capital were all of bronze. The second pillar was the same with a network. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city. The chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So Nebuzardan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at, at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. So not only was the beauty of the temple destroyed and broken apart and taken away as loot, into Babylon, but also the highest ranking priests were taken before the king and killed and destroyed, which also brings even more importance to the book of Ezekiel, as Ezekiel was not just a prophet, but also training to be in the priesthood when he was taken captive into Babylon, and he performs that role of priest in Babylon without any of the temple instruments, and you'll see how he takes on a lot of the punishment for the people in that book. But this is just, there's no wonder Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet and no wonder he wrote a book called Lamentations. But all of the beautiful things that pointed people to God were destroyed in this siege. And Jeremiah saw it coming and tried to prevent it from happening all the way as he told the kings what God wanted them to do. And they resisted him every step of the way and he watched the destruction of the city. Then he made Gedaliah, the son of Hikam, the son of 
Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Now when all the captains of the armies, uh, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, the son of Korea, Sariah, the son of Tanhmeth, the Netaphathite, and Jeazaniah, the son of Mahakalite, <laughs> they and their men, and Gedaliah took an oath before them and their men and said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of, Chal of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. But it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, the royal family, came with ten men and struck and killed Gedaliah, the Jews as well as the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. And all the people, small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. So if that sounded a little bit like gobbledygook to you because of all of the difficult-sounding names, let me just break it down. There was a guy named Gedaliah that... Nebuchadnezzar put in charge of those who were left in Jerusalem to farm the land. Gedaliah basically told the people, do what you're told to do. Don't be afraid of the servants of Babylon. Everything's going to be fine. Um, and he tried to perform his duty, but those who were left in Jerusalem were still loyal. Uh, and didn't want to be under submission of Babylon. So they rebelled against Gedaliah and the Babylonians. Um, they killed Gedaliah and then ran away to Egypt trying to escape judgment from the Babylonians. So I hope that cleared that up for you. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. Now notice it's still calling Jehoiachin king of Judah because he's the rightful heir to the throne, even though his bloodline has been cursed. So Nebuchadnezzar has now passed away. His son, evil Merodach, is now king. And for some reason, he finds a little bit of favor with Jehoiachin, and he lets him free from prison. Now, he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin chained from his changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. And so he eventually capitulates to Babylon, which doesn't matter because they've conquered Jerusalem, and it's destroyed. And that's where the book ends, on that strange note that Jehoiachin was taken care of. The good thing about that is there's now a bloodline attached to him that ultimately leads to Joseph uh, and allows for that workaround that God used to make Jesus the Messiah as he allows his son to enter into the world to take on our sins. But that's it, the destruction of the kingdom of Judah. It only took just a, a few years after the greatest king in their history to become completely destroyed uh, and not listen to the words of the prophets. So I think there's a couple of warning signs in this. One is 
It doesn't matter how prosperous or how faithful a generation is or how faithful or how useful a leader is. It doesn't take that long for a nation to go to destruction, especially if it's on the list for God to judge that nation because of the evil that it has done. I'll let you glean from that whatever you will. But it's also important in, a, in our personal walk with God uh, and those we care about to recognize it, it doesn't take that much to get off the right path. It's easy to get swayed off of the right path. I mean, Jesus' words are, it's the narrow gate. There's not a lot of wiggle room. And the good thing is God's mercy and grace, but to keep our hearts pointed at him and to constantly be working through our salvation and to keep in relationship with God because it is easy to fall off the path on the road to destruction because temptation surrounds us in our flesh is weak. So it's important to keep our spirit willing. Uh, and for those we're praying for and looking to see come to Jesus or to see them grow, remember how easy it is to fall off that path. And that also gives us humility because if it's that easy and that quick to fall off of the righteous path or to not be on the narrow road, if you only have one degree of error, well then you're not that much more deserving than anybody else. And so there is no pride involved with our relationship with God. It's actually, it's his mercy and grace that allows us to have salvation, not anything we do. Which means when we tell the community or we talk to people about who Jesus is, it's not from a position of I'm better than you. It's actually, no, I need God's mercy and grace as badly as you do. Come join the path with me as we walk towards it. I'll leave you with that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this these last couple of chapters. and God, I'm thankful that this is not the end of the story. That we do get to see what happens in Daniel and Ezekiel. And ultimately the prophecies that are fulfilled that lead to Jesus. And the prophecies that will be fulfilled by Jesus that bring the ultimate restoration with your second coming. So God, I just, I'm so thankful for your grace and mercy but I think it's important also to be thankful for your judgment, to know that evil doesn't go unpunished and that your wrath is righteous and good and loving because your plan is going to be fulfilled and we will see the whole thing come to fruition. And that is the ultimate good. And we thank you for everything this is pointing to, even when it seems like it's in a valley. We know the mountain is coming, and uh, we look forward to the high points. I pray that we can also remember to be humble uh, and to be diligent in our walk with you on that narrow path and to invite others on it because of your grace, not because of anything we did or they do or works that we can accomplish. We can do nothing on our own. Our works are filthy rags before you, but your grace and mercy and your sacrifice on the cross give us salvation. And so help us to 
provide that mercy and grace to others. In Jesus' name, amen.